Welcome to Between the Pages, a book club podcast that focuses on books written for young readers. Between the Pages, like the nonprofit organization for which it is named, is dedicated to empowering children of any age to embrace a lifelong love of the magic and wonder of reading. The show is presented and produced by Camp Half-Blood, Austin Branch, a Texas summer camp inspired by the works of Percy Jackson and the Olympians author Rick Riordan. Since 2006, kids unplug from their devices to experience sword training, archery, monster battles, music courses, spoken word poetry, and epic quests, living for a week as demigod companions of Percy Jackson and his friends. The members of our rotating book club panel just so happen to be the staff of Camp Half-Blood, along with a few special guests who will join us as we go. As we delve through these beloved tomes, you'll hear us perform excerpts of some of our favorite scenes. If you'd like to learn more about Camp Half-Blood and Between the Pages, visit us at between-the-pages.org. Before we get started, I should introduce myself, shouldn't I? My name is Moises Chuyan. I will serve the will of the gods as your humble moderator and producer. Our host with the most is our founder and creative director, Topher Bradfield. Topher, please tell us a little bit about you, your origin story, your love of learning and reading, and where Camp Half-Blood and Between the Pages started. Absolutely. This is so exciting. Okay, so yeah, Topher Bradfield. Got my start uh, at a local independent bookstore in Austin, Texas, working in the kids section. I loved reading and recommending books to people. And when the book buyer for the store at the time put the ARC, the advanced reader copy of The Lightning Thief in my hand and said, I think you'll like this. Uh, She was right, loved it. And that started my love affair with the whole thing. By the time the advanced reader copy of The Sea of Monsters came out, I was reading the entire book to groups of kids on the second floor of the store. They'd show up in their PJs and bring sleeping bags and I'd have my coffee pot next to me and a box of cookies and we'd perform the whole thing from start to finish. About a six and a half hour read, loads of fun. The end of The Sea of Monsters, I looked out in the audience and I said, wow, wouldn't Camp Half-Blood be a great place to go to? I wish it was real. And the kids looked at me like I'd sprouted a second head and said, well, yeah, duh, of course it would be fun to go to. And that's, that's where the idea came from. So that was probably in February of 2006. And by the, the time we got to June, I'd had a, a business plan, some initial ideas, and went to the store and said, hey, I'd love to partner up with you. And the rest is history. Never could have guessed that it would have taken off like that. And for the purpose of the show, we're going to be focusing on The Lightning Thief as our first book. Uh, But before we get to discussing the book, discussing its iconic first chapter, which in a lot of ways, a lot of people think uh, is one of the great first chapters uh, in in books intended for this age range, uh, we should uh, should introduce uh, our our third member of the quest here, uh, Mr. Hector Leal. Hector, how did did you get mixed into all of of this Camp Half-Blood and Between the Pages craziness? Uh, Well, so... Especially compared to Topher, I am actually uh, pretty new to all of this. Um, not too new, about five years. But I'd never read any of the books, and one day, my sword instructor, who happens to be the guy who teaches at a, the Austin branch of Camp Half-Blood, was like, hey, you need a summer job? And I did. So he introduced me to Topher, and it's been quite the adventure ever since. So uh, I mentioned that that we've got one of the iconic first chapters of 
a book intended for this age range uh, that is out there. Uh, Topher, you've you've told me that you practically have it committed to memory, Almost. and that's probably you being humble, um, <laughs> because the the last couple times I've seen you read this to kids, you haven't really had to look at the book that much. Um, what what is it about the first chapter of the Lightning Thief that that hooked you when you had that that advanced reader copy in your hands the first time? What was it that that really grabbed you? It it was the language. It invited you in to become a character in the story. It was really effective at 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 hooking you. Um, he invites you in, you know, saying, "Hey, you know, hey, I didn't want to be a half blood. If you think you're one." And that kind of language was was immediate and it was visceral and it was like, oh, wow, and yeah. It's, it's first person perspective. It's it is. Per, it's Percy Jackson himself telling you the story mm -hmm. uh, to encapsulate without spoilers and we'll get into all that kind of stuff. Uh, you, of course, know the background of, of how Rick Riordan came to write this book in the first place, right. which is its own story. Uh, but the story itself is this first person telling uh, by this kid who is... Uh, learning that the world of mythology that he's learned about in school, that he's read about, is in fact a lot more real than he ever gave it credit for. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, um, he's he's shocked and stunned. Um, he has both ADHD and dyslexia. Uh, he discovers that all demigods have ADHD and dyslexia. It's a it's a battle reflex. Their brains are hardwired for ancient Greek and and not modern languages. Uh, it is it is really really fun. Uh, and it's it's got one of the best first kind of chapter endings ever when you you figure out if that character is is having a mental breakdown. <laughs> uh, Hector, this was this is a book that uh, like me you had not you had not read. This was uh, this was a little bit after your time as a kid. Uh, what was it like reading reading just that first chapter through? Uh, the first time, or actually, I, I, had you read it before we heard Topher read it to that one class? Uh, no, I hadn't. You're you're absolutely right. Um, I mean, it's almost exactly the time when it would have been written to when I would have been. I'm almost exactly Percy's age, actually. <laughs> um, that was an interesting thing to discover, but <clears throat> but we we both missed it. We both right. just barely missed it. Right? Yes, we did. Um, and I have to agree with Topher. This this beginning few paragraphs this first half of a page where he's addressing the reader and and i like this from a from like a kid's perspective he's almost daring them to not believe the book like just you try and think this is fiction you know it's it's strangely inviting in kind of a reverse psychology kind of way yeah it's it's the rope in the so. center of the room with the do not pull sign on it you know um and of course every kid wants to pull that exactly. <laughs> that rope Exactly. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. The the interesting thing about what he lays down about not wanting to have been a half-blood, not wanting to have these powers, they're not, they're not unusual in hero stories. You know, the idea of a hero is usually a blessing and a curse. Mm -hmm. um, but to lay this out right up front in a, in a kid's story does seem to be a bit novel. You know, usually that's something you get to a bit later on, and he certainly delves into it more. But to just throw that down right up front. Yeah, the the notion that you really get this this sense of um, a child with these kind of burgeoning powers or talents that doesn't understand them at all. These things happen around him. He sees them as mistakes. What Rick uses as like the mist, the veil that sort of hides a demigod's reality from the rest of the world and from himself. So 
yeah, loads, loads of fun having him figure out who and what he is um, slowly and surely, and then kind of question his own sanity and his environment. Um, it's, uh, yeah. And expositionally, we're, we're introduced to key characters that are going to play an important role throughout the whole rest of the story. His, his teacher, mm -hmm. uh, who we currently know as Mr. Brunner, uh, his best pal, Grover. Uh, we learn a lot more about both of them, uh, but we learn a lot more about the world by the end of this chapter that I, the title of the chapter uh, tells us exactly where we're going to go. Uh, yeah. Rick is a genius at coming up with these really silly chapter titles. I accidentally vaporized my pre-algebra teacher. I mean, what's not to like about that? It always elicits some chuckles from when, from the classes when the kids hear it for the first time, and even when they've heard it for the tenth time. Yeah, and uh, another thing I actually really like about the chapters is sometimes they're just a little bit misleading. Oh yeah, like it's exactly what happens in the chapter, but not the way you think yeah, from a certain point of view yeah. in, in the Star Wars parlance. Right. <laughs> from um, a certain point of view, Topher, what what? Uh, what do we have? What do we have laid in terms of groundwork in the first chapter uh, that you think is particularly great? Um, I, I guess signposting for what comes later on. Uh, is it the relationships that Percy has with Mr. Brunner and Grover? Is it uh, his his sense of of um, of uh, being uh, being a little bit off of his footing uh, for you know what he's being introduced to, which is a constant throughout the book. Uh, he's constantly introduced to things that, that surprise and alarm him uh, that he has to get accustomed to. Um, you know, what, what's, what's some of that kind of expositional stuff that you think works particularly well? For, for me, it's uh, you know, some of the things that, that first come to mind are his relationship with his mother. Um, and I was really kind of taken by the fact that, you know, he's sitting outside towards the end of the first chapter uh, on the fountain and he's trying to sit away from the kids who are, are in his school uh, that, that have difficulties like he does. And he's, he's thinking about his mom, whose apartment is just a little ways uptown from where they're sitting, and that he hadn't seen her in a long time. And that his sense of himself, um, all of the accidents that he has, has been central to, or that he feels he's been central to, uh, and him getting kicked out of schools time and time again as a result of those accidents, really color his kind of perception of what he can handle and what he can take if he were to go home and see his mom. You know, she'd hug him, she'd be glad to see him. But then she'd remind him that he would have to go back to school and, and try harder. Understanding, and you don't know this at this point in the book, but in the first chapter, kind of understanding full well, far more well than, than Percy does. You know, she knows her son a little better than Percy knows himself. And I really, really loved his his longing um, and his attachment to his mother. Yeah, Percy's just off balance this whole, this whole first chapter, which kind of makes it really delightful. Hector, uh, how do you, how does Percy strike you on this first glance that we get at him? Uh, what kind of a kid is he? How do you, how do you characterize him? If, if you were another kid in school that you went to school with, you know, how, how would you clock him based on the way that we're introduced to him? So interestingly, in, in some way, I do see a bit of myself in him, not in the sense I, I didn't have nearly the troubles that he had, not even just 
excluding the demigod stuff, the ADHD, the dyslexia. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I didn't often find myself in trouble, but I often found myself kind of away from the group. You know, I certainly had my friends, you know, and you have that really good friend, but generally you just kind of... You didn't run with a crowd. No, I didn't. Neither did Percy. Right. You're, you're still very independent. You're, you're, you're both a part of the group, but you're completely at home being off to the side. And that's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. And, and part of that is just, you know, having gotten more comfortable with the knowledge that that's just who I am. Other part of it is also just um, much like Percy will do in this book, finding kind of that place where you actually do belong, you know? Um, so in, in a sense, he is that kind of misunderstood kid that no one really kind of gets to. And, and we find that Mr. Bruner is the teacher that he really looks up to that, that makes him want to be better. Um, but he also kind of feels like Mr. Bruner maybe pushes him too hard. Um, but he really wants to live up to that. And I think we all had, you know, that maybe that one teacher who was just like, yeah, they make me want to be something. Um, and then we also had the Miss Dodds, too, who were like, I just want to not be around this person. <laughs> and the funny thing is that for some, for different people, they were probably complete opposites, right? Yeah. But yeah, I feel like, like Miss Dodds, you know, the, you know, the pre algebra teacher in the book, you know, finger quotes pre algebra teacher, uh, in, in a lot of ways was one of those kind of teachers that sort of called, also called us on our, our BS. Um, and, right. and, and didn't let us get away, you know, with the, the, um, you know, the more miscreant, you know, parts of our childlike behavior. Um, then we'll, we'll get to her and who and what she is more later, but, uh, yeah, they, both, both of those on, on either side of the spectrum, you know, the one that's kind of, you know, beloved and could be a little bit of the grumpy kind of mentor that kind of, you know, again, knows us better than we know ourselves, uh, in Mr. Brunner. And then... And then this Dodds, <laughs> who who we all feel would just rather kill us and 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 pick the meat off of our bones, uh, you know. So we have a couple of teachers that are on opposite sides of the teacher spectrum, uh, and we are also introduced to uh, nemesis of nemeses, uh, the type of person who you know not just by their first name but by their first and last name, as she is re repeatedly referred to, Nancy Bobafit. Yes, uh, just the uh the bane of percy's existence uh in various respects uh how do you feel about uh, about nancy boba fit do you do you hate her as much as, as percy does <laughs> are you as frustrated by her as percy is i think i think no matter who the bully is in the story i i have issues with bullies um it, it and and nancy is um kind of a quintessential bully uh you know Always, always picking on Grover, who is, you know, um, scrawny and he's got a start of a wispy beard on his chin and acne, and he's only like a sixth grader, you know, kind of thing. And she, you get the sense that 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 Nancy's radar has, you know, has tuned itself into um, Grover, and and she's going to let him have it. And Percy's Percy's not about any of it. He 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 can't stand Nancy. He doesn't like the fact that he. He bullies, you know, she bullies Grover. Um, and it was an interesting choice, I think, that she doesn't show up at all in the movie. 
So they just they just sort of took took that um, that sort of bullying component out um, or sort of maybe, shelved it. Maybe shifted it around. Shifted at, it around maybe to other characters. You've only or, got so much runtime to deal true. with in a movie. And this isn't me defending the movie, no, which no, no, of is course. not great. Um, but, and uh, you know, th there's something to be said for maybe the format of a feature film wasn't the best way to translate this story for a variety of reasons. And yeah. part of it is uh, not to say that I would ever miss Nancy Boba Fett, um, but there, there are elements like that that you just have to lose and have to figure out how you proportionally... And move the story along. Yeah, move yeah. the story along and shift that presence somewhere else in the story right how do you how do you feel about nancy actor so much like topher said she is just the quintessential bully but um interestingly this gives us a bit of <clears throat> character for percy um showing us the you know quintessential quality of a hero the willingness to stand up for those who maybe won't stand up for themselves mm -hmm. those who are weaker those who are being those who are tread underfoot, shall we say, um, which is interesting because I haven't seen the movies, but it, it yeah, in that sense, it's, yeah, 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 that's, that is very, that is very much my understanding. Um, but it is interesting to hear that they would remove that. I don't know how they uh, did or didn't express that. I, I, I mean, it, it feels like, you know, some of the but, antagonism is, uh, is, is shifted over to uh, the daughter of Athena, who we meet a little bit later, yeah, a little bit. you know, a little bit, a little bit more than, than is already there. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just, there's only so much time and there are plenty of things that otherwise in the bare bones uh, stripped down version of the story, you know, I, I think Percy has a lot of stuff going against him in and of itself. And so it was, I, I can, I can understand the story meeting with a bunch of note cards on a wall that resulted in uh we can cut that one uh we yeah, you know sure. you know we, we only have so much time for so many speaking parts and you know we uh it might be confusing if we have just a whole bunch of stuff that we try to cram into an hour and a half uh we mentioned grover quite a few times um the the uh the guy with the wispy beard and acne mm -hmm. uh who's a bit scrawny and uh we we learn a whole lot more about um, and as we progress through talking about the book, we'll assume that people have read the book, uh, but we figured that, that this is kind of the, the test chapter of our discussion. Uh, we're not going to do an episode per chapter of the book, certainly, but because uh, not just in the canon of, of uh, young reader books, uh, this chapter is so beloved, but because it, it does so much to set things up, mm -hmm. uh, this would be a good, a good way to, uh, to before we, we set off the spoiler alarms, as it were. Uh, kind of look at at what we're dealing with. Let's let's talk about Grover and oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. and how just Grover. poor poor Grover. Uh, you know that that best friend that you just have to stick up for. And how could you not? Um, how how would you characterize Grover, Hector? At, well, at the same time, I, I would say that Grover is is more courageous than Percy. Percy has this this fighter about him. You know, he's willing to get into into a fight. He's going to mix it up. He's going to do what he needs to do to protect what he cares about. Grover is terrified of everything, <laughs> but he's still willing to fight for his friends. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he he's not really good at sticking up for himself, but uh, I mean, we'll get we'll get into it later. Well, when and he talks and about that's, how he that's needs part of Grover's person. journey, too, is, yeah, is really getting is. is getting past <clears throat> that anxiety. You know, he's capable of it and he he wants to. Uh, be helpful and useful, uh, but he does have that that hesitation as his 
core impulse. Yeah, his arc is really about finding his voice. You're, you're absolutely right. It's uh, it's it's lovely. In the first chapter, we meet Grover, and you know he's he's the one that's you know sort of put upon, and he's the awkward one, with with the physical you know impediments and all sorts of stuff. And then in chapter two, um, kind of things change. You know, uh, his his view of himself and his job are like really really quite different. It's a bit of a switch. So we uh, we vaporize a pre-algebra teacher in oh, chapter yeah. one. Yeah, totally. Uh, we we introduce the you know we 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 tiptoe past the threshold of the magical world that we're in and mm -hmm. the not quite uh, quote unquote ordinary stuff that is around. But but we we spend a, a fair amount of time talking about the real world and this is just regular old New York existence and life with buses and. Uh, normal stuff, uh, but when when things get not normal, it it just kind of happens. All of a sudden, it's like we've gotten a little bit of a warning, a little bit of a warning. We get these little signals, and then things get crazy and get very very real, very very fast. Um, how do we, how do you guys feel about about how we are transitioned into the world is not exactly the way that it has seemed for his whole life? Well, you know, it's it's a uh... You know, Percy's journey from something weird just happened at the Met that I can't explain. You know, I just, I literally just vaporized my pre-algebra teacher to um, finding out that he doesn't know if he can trust both Grover and Mr. Brunner is, is a, its own thing. Going, he, he doesn't. You know, he doesn't know if he can trust both of them or either of them individually, right. and he, he. It's not even a matter of, of one or the other. It's can I trust either of them? That's right. And and it's he overhears that conversation, at the school. Um, you know, once they get back and and have met the old ladies knitting the socks of doom on the side of the road, and and he starts to he starts to realize that they're talking about him. You know, he's outside the office and you always know, we've always had this, this, this feeling. We know when we're being talked about. Um, and, and Percy's worried that he's being kept from something that's, that's important. Uh, and he really, I think, likes, loves and trusts Grover and, and really admires, you know, Brunner. And to hear them talk about this as, as if we have to keep him away from this as long as we can. Um, is it's really troubling for Percy, and I, I I like I like that transition. Hector, how do you feel about the the transition from the real world is the real world we've always known to the real world is the world we've known plus? I I, I overall I feel the book is beautifully paced. There's this kind of mounting tension like a roller coaster. And then things hit off and you just go down the slide. And there's there's this this feeling, because you didn't mention he begins to wonder what his mom knows about him, too, right. Right. that she's not telling him. Um, <clears throat> suddenly he's seeing a side of her that he hasn't really before. And and I think at some point he's actually questioning himself, too. Absolutely. Yeah. Which constantly. Is so much of the the constant in his life is his mom, and he has always right. felt like he can trust everything about his mom, 
Now, let's talk a little bit more about that relationship too, and even his his relationship with the guy that her her mom you know connected with that is uh, that it, he that is an ever present part of his his world whether he likes it or not. Gabe Ugliano. Gabe. Gabe Ugliano. <laughs> smelly Gabe. Smelly, yeah. smelly Gabe. Who, who I would say is kind of an extension of Nancy Boba Fett, that, that kind of bullying energy, just that antagonist right here, placed directly against our hero, threatening something that he cares deeply about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he just he can't make out why his mom would be with this guy. Right. There's and nothing about him that says anything to him about who his mom is or what she is lacking or wanting out of life. He just cannot figure out the math of this. Right. And an interesting difference here is that he he feels less able to deal with Gabe, partially because he is an adult, partially because his mom is the one telling him no that's right yeah let me deal with this she's sort of half defending him without giving him any of the reasons for it um and i think he finds that really troubling as i think any of us would well i think there's there's a the the reading the book and thinking about this relationship in particular um I realized that there there were some things that whether Rick intended it or not, and Topher, you can probably speak to this because you're the encyclopedia of all things Rick. Um, but it, it it feels like a really um, gentle but important uh, parallel to what some kids live with, where their genetic parent is not the person that the parent that they live with ended up with, and they have a fractured relationship with this person. Sometimes a very fractured, uh, dangerous, abusive relationship uh, where it's it's antagonistic. It's emotionally abusive with Gabe. Um, it, it doesn't stray into the, the really troubling kind of stuff that a lot of kids face. There are a lot of kids that could be reading this book that their living situation, their home, the place they're supposed to feel the most safe is somewhere that's dominated by a presence that is like Gabe on steroids based on the way he smells. Maybe Gabe is on steroids. I don't know. Uh, but there's, there's, you know, I, I joke, but there's, there's, there's something really important um, bundled into this that is beyond the page. Absolutely. That, that I think, uh, you know, a lot of kids can relate to. I, I wonder, I don't know for sure, but I, I wonder in, in the course of Rick's, you know, teaching years, if he had a lot of students who came from single parent homes. And, and all the difficulties that can arise as a result of, of being in a single parent home, um, a lack of support, it could be financial matters, any number of things. The, the Gabe kind of piece, you know, in there, um, having, having his mother sort of half-heartedly defend Gabe um, and also trying to protect Percy. And there are bigger issues there in the background as well. Uh, is 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 huge. Um, yeah, I, I I do think that Rick likes to to shine a light on different areas of our lives. In other books, in other series, uh, it might be homelessness. Um, here in these first couple of chapters, it might be talking about that 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 bond that, that can occur um, in single single parent you know households, and also the fracturing you know that can occur. And the disconnectedness that can sometimes happen. So, uh, yeah, mom's working all the time. 
You know, Percy has to be home. Sometimes he's home with Gabe. How awful is that? Um, so then mom, you know, brings home some blue candy or some blue food, which is that, that sort of shared inside. It's not so much a joke, but a deeply sort of connective tissue. Um, yeah, and I really, really like his relationship with his mom. Hector, how do how do you feel about the the relationship with mom uh, for Percy? Uh, I mean, parental relationships, familiar relationships in general, will just always kind of tug at my heartstrings. Um, <clears throat> Percy's with his mom in particular is just so well done to to really feel this relationship, to see just how much he cares for his mom um, is really hard it gives us a sense of percy as a very compassionate person uh which is nice but um i mean it extends to his relationship with grover to everybody exactly it's it's again it's an extension of what we'd already seen with grover and nancy so it's very heartening to see this and and it also it's very disheartening to see Gabe and what he is bringing to this relationship, how he's kind of uh, driving a wedge in here. So, yeah, and he's, you know, Gabe isn't wasted space. I mean, he he's a necessary character for a very specific reason, which which we'll, which we'll discuss later. later. Yeah, later. but but it's um, it is it's well crafted. It's 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 well written, and I think readily digestible for anybody. Depending, Absolutely. you just. You don't have to come from a single parent family to, you know, connect with some of the issues that are going on there. So. Let's talk a bit about the the climactic action uh, of the the end of chapter one, mm-hmm. uh, and and maybe get any other uh, stray thoughts that we've got on this first chapter. Because uh, I wanted to talk a bit about Camp Half Blood itself, since yeah. this episode is this is this is an introduction to the listeners to uh, not just the books that we're talking about, but the people that are reading these books and why we're doing it and that. Um, I. As, as a, a as someone who grew up as a creative writer uh, who felt that there was a great deal of power in the pen, uh, I absolutely love <laughs> the the magical bit of, uh, of what we're introduced to here. Um, and it it uh, it thematically ties into a lot of the kind of stuff that I love just having in fantasy literature, uh, which is is tying power to creative pursuit. Uh, so, uh, Topher, you know, uh, uh, I guess uh, yeah. n- narrate us through what what what, what happens and uh, the pen and, is and mightier than the sword. I mean, obviously, uh, <laughs> it's mightier than the sword it's, 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 it is because it when it is a sword. Yeah. Because it's a sword. So, yeah, Mr. Brunner has this this uh, sword that he always uses on tournament days at Yancey Academy, and. Oh, he must—he must have gotten this at a Ren Fair, you know, right? Water from a vendor. You, you know, know, you know. Percy's told us, you know, earlier in the chapter that he loves—he loves Mr. Brunner because he's the only teacher who had, you know, you know, this massive collection of Roman armor and weapons, and um, and even when Percy later on in the chapter is feeling a little put upon, you know, by Mr. Brunner and him saying, you know, I'm only going to accept the best from you, and reminiscing like, yeah, sure, it's it's kind of cool on tournament days when he gets dressed up in a suit of Roman armor and. And then he challenges us, sword point against chalk, to run to the board and name every you know, Greek and Roman person who ever lived. Um, he he brings up he brings up that sword. That sword is is a cool thing. The pen turning into the sword in 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 the sort of climactic ending of the first chapter is wonderful because the way Rick writes it, it's with a lot of humor. So 
you know, Mrs. Dodds is confronting Percy and, and she's telling him to, you know, give them the thing. Uh, you have to admit it, you know, uh, if you do, then we'll go, you know, easier on you. And he's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. And then she transforms into this really creepy woman with fangs and claws and, and, and she's about to kill him. Right. And then the way Rick writes it, then things got stranger. <laughs> you know? she, she turns into a monster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then things get even weirder. Yeah, and I love that. I love that little turn. Um, and it's it's Mr. Bruner, you know, in his wheelchair at the entrance to the gallery holding pen in his hand, and he tosses a pen through the air and he shouts, What ho to Percy. And, and Percy same, same thing that he would say on those tournament days. On those tournament days, exactly. And and uh <laughs> And, and when it, you know, when the pen hits his hand, it's not a pen anymore. It's a sword, a bronze sword, you know, that Mr. Bruno always used on tournament day. And it's, it's lovely. And then Percy says, I did the only thing that came naturally. I swung the sword, you know, and it's, he's still in this, he can't believe himself. He can't trust his own senses. He doesn't know what's going on. He's disoriented and he's just like, grab the pen out of the air and you can just see it in your head, you know, um, this, this pen transforming into a sword and then him just taking a swing right towards the evil Mrs. Dodds. I think, I think if this sequence didn't flow and didn't work as visually jumping off the page as well yeah. as it does, I don't, I don't think we would be talking about this chapter the way that we are and people w would not be so absolutely enamored of these books. Oh, yeah, it's great. Uh, it, it's so characteristic of, of what I think characterizes the whole, the, this whole book, the whole series that sprang out of it, everything Rick's done. Uh, ever since the things that he's curated since then, uh, Hector as a as a sword man like myself, um, how do you how do you feel once once we get down to uh, down to brass blades as it were? Uh, so what I actually really like about this scene is the confusion that is it, it's so wonderfully expressed and <clears throat> as a sword man, as you <laughs> as say, a, as a sword man, <laughs> as you say, uh, I. I felt that when I first learned and when you first get that sword you're like what do I do with this thing you know but that but there's more to it here and you mentioned the humor that's written in here and a lot of that confusion comes through to the reader through that humor because it's these you've got this freakish monster with leathery black wings and giant fangs coming at you and that's the fear component but also it's screaming at you die honey yeah like what else are you gonna do <laughs> You can't help but just see how things don't fit together. And it, it both adds to that humor and that little bit of like, that's not quite right. And even though it's not quite right, it's just so inviting and enveloping. Um, if we're talking more about swords and action, yeah. then um, this scene is everything it needed to be. I think this scene probably would have been dragged down if there had been a lot of... Like oh we did this and my sword clanged into the claws and all I think that would have just kind of bogged it down. It's, I mean right when, exactly when, when you're teaching somebody sword work when you're teaching whether they're eight or eighty uh, that's that's the thing I mean it's like acting you're teaching reaction you're teaching uh, right reacting to what is coming at you and and not choreographing everything like it's a lovely ballet nothing wrong with ballet I love taking ballet but when it comes to just knowing what you're doing it's so much about what Percy does in this scene right right exactly one of the easiest ways to teach someone is just to put a sword in their hand and be like all right let's go let me see what you got and then I'll just give advice as I go keep the sword in front 
swing for me, not the blade, you know, anything like that. It, it's that idea of just like getting thrown into the deep end. You got to go, you got to do. And, and that's where Bruner comes in where he's just like, here you go. Better do your thing. Yeet. Yeet. Yeah. As the kids would say. As the kids say. <laughs> as the kids quite regularly right. say these days. Well, you know, one of the things that I, I, I loved about, I did the only thing that came naturally, I swung the sword, is it speaks to that there there's a, an underlying set of talents that Percy doesn't know he has. Um, and and it's it's that swing with the sword coming right through her shoulder and passing clean through her body. Um, and the, I, the, the beautiful I, thing yeah. about this is whether whether you want to read it as literal or metaphorical, it works both ways. It does, yeah. Uh, whether it is, these are the instincts that he has learned because of the life that he's had or God, blood, blah, 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 blah. Right. And and I I love I love the little sneak peek that we get into the demigod side, um, the, the way the language is set up there, and he, he does that he, he does that a lot later on too, like these things are happening to you because you're a demigod. Um, but I loved I loved that you know little point that it was it did feel natural to him oddly, like how many times has that kid held a sword in his hand prior to that you know, uh, <laughs> probably not very many, <laughs> if ever. So it's pretty great. Uh, so before we we fully wrap up on chapter one, uh, any other little little things that that you guys came wanting to mention in particular mm -hmm. that you that you enjoyed? Um, I, I feel like looking at encapsulating the first chapter, we were introduced to some characters that we're with throughout the rest of the book. Uh, we're introduced to the magical world of of Percy Jackson and the Olympians. Uh, we get a little bit of action that is very characteristic of of how things are introduced as we go. We get introduced to uh, a mythological creature um, in in a way that is again characteristic of of how we're introduced to those elements as we go throughout the book. Uh, what other any other little uh, little threads, bits and pieces of chapter one that really stand out to you? I I love the description of you know Kronos eating his kids on the side of the Stila because you just love visceral disgusting. <laughs> because stuff. I, apparently you're, um, you're an enthusiast. Well, it's it, you know what it kind of what it sets up is a is a love of of classics. Uh, and it's sort of it's sort of keying the reader into like, hey, there are some stories behind this, and you should probably go check them out. You know, uh, read the myths, become familiar, and yo, it's it's a really go check out Edith Hamilton, yo, <laughs> it's lit, absolutely, and and it, I think it does a lovely job, and I think there are a lot of folks in in the classics community that'll tell you um, it, it reignited a love of learning about the classics and and this first chapter has so much in it that kind of kind of points the reader at hey go 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 check out those myths go check out edith hamilton by the way yes yeah, absolutely just talking about this makes yeah. me makes me think at some point we should we should definitely cover that new translation of the odyssey <laughs> uh because it, it 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 you know it 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 that itself i mean uh it it breathed some new life into something that i had read three different translations of over, I don't know how many years. Hector, what, what else about chapter one uh, did you want to throw in there? Uh, uh, one of my favorite things about chapter one is actually that little bit where um, he's talking about something that Ms. Dodds did. I don't quite remember what, and he's talking to Grover about it and he says, you know, I don't, like, she's not even human, you know? It's the way you say <laughs> that about something. Yeah, and Grover, <laughs> as he says, Grover looks at him and says, you're absolutely right. That's one of those things that like, I, I can, I can, 
I imagine in my mind's eye, the writer, I say at the typewriter, uh, at the computer, at the yeah. keyboard going, should I? Nah, that's, that's too much. No, that is too much. No, I've I, got to do yeah, that. It's, I it's, have to do this. And it's, and it's so perfect because it's just such a small thing back there that it's I mean, actually it's actually the first little kind of poke yeah. that something's a little writer. off yeah yeah the, the, the over the top like no give me more give me yeah. more yeah but you don't even you don't even quite get it because grover is just a weird guy at this point right right yeah yeah no it, no no mrs Dawes is just weird that's fine you know oh oh we're gonna find out just how weird <laughs> <laughs> so before we, we we wrap up this introductory episode of everything i wanted to come back to uh, the branch of Camp Half-Blood yeah. that, uh, that you operate and jumping ahead in the book a little bit for those who maybe have not read and I, I'm not sure why you'd be listening, but you know we, we want to ease your, uh, your transition into becoming an obsessive listener of this podcast. <laughs> um, soon after this point in the book, uh, we are introduced to a, a wondrous place called Camp Half-Blood yeah. uh, where uh, Dionysus himself is just... Hanging out, Mr. D. Mr. D. <laughs> uh, as uh, as uh, as as he is called, uh, where there are a whole host of demigods sorted into summer camp style cabins based on uh, the gods uh, who constitute half of their their parental lineage. Yep. Uh, training in uh, in archery, in uh, other sorts of combat. Uh, learning various things, um, ancient Greek being thrown hither, thither, and yon, <laughs> as it were. Um, let's 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 uh, let's go back to the the origin story of this branch of Camp Half Blood lives here in Austin, and uh, and how how it has grown over the last what is it fourteen years now? Yeah, we're going into our fifteenth summer. Fifteenth yeah. summer coming up. It's astounding. I would have would have laughed at anybody. That told me, hey, so in 15 years, this Camp Applet thing is going to look like this. There's no way I would have believed that. So uh, kind of going back to the, the reading of the Sea of Monsters, you know, the, the advanced reader copy reading of the Sea of Monsters in, say, February of 2006, uh, I tried to put together a camp that nine-year-old Topher like, would have loved. What, what, what would I have loved kind of doing? And that's, you know, playing with swords having you know greek armor out there marching in phalanx going on quests that kind of stuff so i put together uh, a group of folks that were austin independent kind of business owners and asked them to participate and they did i was very very lucky hired some some staff after consulting other camp directors in the austin area and i didn't know what i was doing at all I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I had no idea. You were a guy working for a bookstore who had an idea of, hey, here's an yeah. activity thing that we can do. This should be as fun. Is an add-on thing. This Absolutely. will be fun. Yeah. What an adventure. Right. So, so it turns out everybody had a lot of fun. We had a good story that year and we can cover that, you know, some other time, but, uh, and, and I was going to leave. I, I was, you know, during camp, um, you know, Cece, my wife then, was packing up our place to move back to San Diego. And when camp was over, I didn't want to tell any of the kids I was leaving because I had profound, had developed profound connections with them over the last year doing book talks and having them come in as interns for the store and having been part of the Rock and Readers group, which sort of started this whole thing. And I just didn't want to say goodbye. And one of them found out I was leaving 
Zoe Wolzen. And Zoe started circulating a letter to teachers and librarians and parents in the Austin community telling them like, you gotta keep this guy, you know, do whatever it takes, keep him. And so successful camp, it's over, lots of tears, lots of hugging, we had a blast. I'm getting ready to leave, we're in the U-Haul. It's, the engine is, is, is idling, I'm running in to go say goodbye to people. And the CEO of the store invites me in and, and he says, let's uh, talk for a second. And takes me into his office and he dumps like scads of mail on his desk. Like it's a lot. And he says, I've been getting a lot of this. Let's open some of this up. And he'd already you know, pinned a few of them up to his wall. And uh, I just remember him telling me, you know, you probably didn't realize what you were doing over the last year, all your book talks and kind of connecting with the kids. Uh, you know, I, I'd be an idiot if we didn't try to keep you. What's it going to take? So it was lovely. And they, they gave me a chance. And he said, I, I, I want you in a creative role. Do what you want. Um, and we're off and running. The second year, we moved the camp from um, Zilker Park, <laughs> where we sort of overwhelmed their services there, out to McKinney Falls, where we are currently. And McKinney Falls is a state park. It's a state park, yeah. And it's it's lovely. And it's within the Austin city limits, which is a little unusual having a state park inside an Austin, in, in, inside a city limit. Um, and, and they were gracious and they let us set up camp and have monsters running around the forest with weapons in their hands. And, you know, the poor regular park goers. I always feel so horrible for 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 couples out with their dog. Yeah, they they and round a bend on a trail and, and suddenly then, there's, there's a minotaur. There's and, a minotaur uh, with a, yeah. I like to think we're very entertaining. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I mean, for free, for free, at no added cost right. uh, to, to the admission that you pay to enter this state park, you you get to be haunted by mummies. Absolutely, yeah, mummies and minotaur and like all sorts of monsters, uh, plague spirits. Uh, we've we've just done we've done Bog so many things, yeah, sorts. water monsters, yeah, all kinds of stuff, and and I I'm always I used to warn everybody before we would go down and do a thing to say you might you might want to have your picnic over there and and try to point like 300 yards downstream or something um, without telling anybody what was going on. Uh, <laughs> and, then you're, and, and then and then you're just a strange man in the forest saying, "Don't go over there." Don't, oh know. yeah, in a bright orange Camp Applet T-shirt, absolutely. Yeah, and it's the whole thing is surreal, which really is very Camp Applet to begin with. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so, so camp camp quickly evolved. Um, our our first generation of camper in 2006 grew up over the years and, and became counselors in training and then counselors and then they, they were running the camp, you know. What I love most personally about our camp is the sense of family that we have. We're all very close. Many of them have been campers transitioning into staff. So they get the culture, they get what we do, love it. Uh, and And they understand our mission. And every single one of them has said, I... I want to experience the same sense of magic and wonder and a little bit of terror um, <laughs> that, that I had as a camper. And I want to be able to, I want to be able to bring that to the next generation of camper. And so they sort of helped to sort of curate the, the 
the culture out there, but we teach sword, um, there's hand-to-hand -hand combat, there's archery, there's art and music, there's spoken word poetry. We've had, you know, lava walls out there and chariot games and foot races and improvisational acting courses and just all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, we are definitely not a normal summer camp. That is for <laughs> sure. Like <laughs> the, the, the state licensing office when they come out and they go, all right, so you do these, these camp things. And there's always a, a list and we're like, nope, nope, nope. We don't do any of those things. It's like, well, what do you do? What do you do? You know, you know, and I jokingly sort of not jokingly say, well, we sort of save the world every week. Um, you know, monsters, that kind of stuff. Um, I think archery is pretty much the only overlap we have. <laughs> yeah, it's like, archery, it, that's it. Archery and maybe capture the flag. Yeah. Maybe capture yeah. the flag, yeah. Um, so when 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 you just casually asked uh, at, at one point, uh, should we do a podcast? Why should we do a podcast? The thing that immediately came to mind was that what Between the Pages as an organization is trying to do as a whole is insert that that magic and wonder and a little bit of terror. You know, mm -hmm. a little bit of terror goes mm -hmm. a long way. It does. You know, it helps fuel everything else. <laughs> Um, and, uh, and, and a lot of what we're, we're looking at is, uh, looking at stuff that is beloved for a reason. We're not here to, you know, pick apart books and, you know, be uh, the New York times book review or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, but instead look at the stuff that we are passionate about, uh, that as we involve some of these kids who have been around since 2006 and thereabouts in the pre-smartphone era, mm -hmm. horror of horrors, those primordial days, um, there, there are books like the lightning thief that exist because of the lightning thief. Yeah. Uh, just as the camp exists because of the yeah. lightning thief. And just the one week that I was out at camp with you guys last summer, uh, I was, I was amazed and fascinated at seeing, uh, so many different strands of kids who were fans of, of quests and doing the right thing and, you know, standing up for the, the right side of history and, and all that kind of stuff that was born out of not just the lightning thief, but all kinds of other books that are out there that even if Hector and I had been, you know, on the right, the right side of history uh, and, and read the lightning thief when, when it came out, when it was, it was, it was just exactly at the right uh, time, but we missed it. Um, there are kids that found uh, something else that did what the lightning thief has done for a few generations of kids at this point. I think it's safe to say. Um, what's it been like, Hector, working at the camp and seeing kids who on a Monday are not quite even considering coming out of their shells and by Friday are, you know, the the most powerful sword kid <laughs> on the planet and they are the one representing their cabin in a tournament. Uh, what's it? What's it been like seeing kids uh, develop and grow over the course of just five days that you see them? It is extremely gratifying and actually very surprising to see just how much they can grow. And and sometimes you don't even quite notice what you're doing until it happens. I remember my my first week out actually when we did our mega quest on Friday. Um, <clears throat> Uh, my first couple of years out, I was a counselor. Now I mostly teach archery. Um, but I was um, counselor for Hephaestus Cabin my first week. And I remember I had this this one little boy who, he was having fun, but he was just a little sheepish, kind of kind of Groverish, actually. And so we go on this giant quest, and I've got him holding this invisibility device, protecting the entire cabin as we're sneaking around the bad guys. And he was shaking the whole time. And I was wondering, like, did I make a mistake? 
But we got back to camp and he looked at me and he was like, that was awesome. Yeah. And I was like, okay, this is why I'm going to stay here for the next five years. <laughs> and yeah, it, it's, uh, I remember thinking the first year we did camp that the, the, the magic happened, you know, in, in these tiny little moments where, where that I found kind of personally gratifying. And that's, you know, we never, um, I'm, I'm going to pull the veil aside here. We never ask anybody to think that everything we're doing is true. That would be insulting their intelligence. Instead, what we do is we, we invite them to become a part of the story and engage in any way they see fit, you know, for themselves, whatever makes them comfortable. But you can see it on their face when the old beat up chariot turns into this glittering bronze thing in their head or they're on a quest and you ask them what they saw. And, you know, it's like, I saw a it's, it's snake. It's a breathless, it's a breathless, yeah, it, like diatribe. Yes. I <laughs> saw this snake monster with a flaming sword. And it was like, were we on the same quest? You know? Topher going, and I love did, it. They, did they set the sword on fire? They, I told yeah, them I not told to them set not any to swords do on that. fire. Topher, you say that like you haven't purposely <laughs> put these that. things in their heads okay. many times. I mean, well, and, and, and yes, you, yes, you, say, you say bring the veil back. And for people who may yeah. be listening who, you know, don't know precisely what mm -hmm. it is, uh, Camp Half Blood, the Austin branch is uh, is is carried out as if yes, this is the it's, Camp Half Blood mm -hmm. you see from the the Percy Jackson and the Olympians books, uh, and these people are all demigods and they are all powerfully strong. I have had many a six year old knock me back as I as That's I right. hold a kicking pad for them, um, mm -hmm. and and it is treated. Uh, I, I don't know, in, in the sense of professional wrestling, uh, as as if, yes, this is all real. Yeah. And yes, you know, <clears throat> this person did rise out of a grave. And yes, this person did yeah. die and come back to life. And no, that guy got decapitated. Somehow his head got reattached. Yes. It allows us to have conversations with, with our campers that that we might not otherwise be able to have. That Keeping that, that space open for them is wildly creative space open where all of this magical stuff can happen and these battles have happened and we can create backstories. Um, we've got a book, the, the uh, diary, that you know, magically illustrates itself and it's written in code, okay? It's, there are all these black pages and it's, it writes in itself in, in these white illustrations. And it's chronicling about 12 years of camp history in, in illustrated and written form. We have people that work for me now that work campers that can just transliterate the whole thing. They can look at the code. Oh yeah, page forty-six. Yeah, yeah, and and this. just and read it out loud because it, it became such a part of of their lives. Uh, it allowed them to be demigod heroes. It allowed them, it allowed them to understand, you know, social constructs and and um, injustices and areas where we could improve the world. We hope through discussion and adventure and action. And, and that space out at camp has been a really effective tool. Like you said, Hector, it was um, a, a, a child who is scared and it, it happens, you know, our, our younger kids are terrified by the giant monsters that, you know, come out of the forest, you know, holding axes or swords or smileys or, you know, and we'll get to that later, um, you know, mummies, whatever it is. And, and, and they're scared and you give them space to become a hero, to not give into their fear 
and come out on the other side going, you know, shaking, as you said, you know, well, the, 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 that was really fun, you know, and, and, and really mean it though. I had a great time. <laughs> I was terrified. I was terrified for that part, you know, not, not all of campus terrifying, but, yeah. but it is, it is a gut check, you know, for some of the kids that come out there. Well, and this, this is something that I've, I have noticed that things are very different than they were when I was a kid where you just played imagination with the other kids in the neighborhood, whoever the kids in the neighborhood were. And we don't live in that world anymore where that is a common thing in the United no. States, uh, where kids get that time to play, make believe, go on a quest. I mean, when I was a kid, I, I, I my mom would get us these like PVC swords that you could get at the whatever wholesaler discount store there would just be a bin of them mm -hmm. and and if i was good one week i would get another color of sword and i had a whole mythology that i attached to it about the powers of the sword and it could shoot fire Absolutely. And it was made of somehow solid water and blah 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 and it was you know cursed or something like that and kids kids don't get that kind of play and they get incredibly concentrated incredibly um responsibly heightened version of that when they come out to this camp. They do. And it's, it's, it is device free. So a lot of our kids are, you know, you know, YouTube, you know, TikTok aficionados, <laughs> you know, already when they come to us at nine and, you know, I hear time and time again from parents saying, this is, this is the most active part of their year. Or it is again on the car ride home in the carpool, the breathless, and then this thing happened, da, 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 and it, they're they're describing like the most impossible things to the parents, and then the parent kind of looks back to go ask another follow up question, and they're asleep drooling, you know, into the window because they're exhausted. Um, but the story that is woven into everything that we do, everything the kids touch, everything we touch, there's there's great care taken to 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 make it as immersive and engaging as we possibly can for every kid to make them feel like the story was written for them. And I like how you bring up this point about um, the, imaginative, the imaginative play that you and I dealt with as kids. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> because it, it doesn't have to be completely gone mm -hmm. is the thing. Like I, I certainly did that a lot as a kid, but I transitioned into video games and that didn't, that didn't the, leave. These kids don't aren't seeing that transition. They start with the video game right. and maybe do a little bit of it at recess at school or something. Right. But that's the thing. Like that imagination didn't leave. One of the biggest influences on me personally was the Legend of Zelda series of video games. It, it fueled a lot of inner dialogue about like what it meant to be a hero and what what it meant to be courageous, yeah. you know, that kind Link of thing. in and those games is much more of a cipher than, for example, Percy is in the Lightning Thief. Exactly. But at the same time, Percy is built as as a as a protagonist surrogate for you such that you can layer yourself onto him even if mm -hmm. you know for example you don't have ADHD you don't have dyslexia right. you can you can see yourself into him even if you're not a boy you know even if you are rather different um you know i don't i don't know that like the kid who has been told that that they're going to be king of the universe since they were you know a toddler is, is going to find much to relate to in a lot of books um, but even that kid, even that kid who, who has a lot of expectations layered on them, uh, you know, expectations of, oh, you're, you know, you're going to be the, the, the greatest person on the planet and you're being, being groomed for all these great things. You know, we, we, we got a mixture of that where we, we got to play act 
in the backyard and we also got to do it you know on the screen with something that gave us a lot of room to to add our own self into you know running around and shooting things with a hook right shot. right and i think actually having adults engage in this with them is is so important because we can kind of direct that a little bit we don't want to force them down any certain path but we can kind of we can show them specific things yeah, you want to, to, to one of my favorite things is watching kids go up to Topher and and they have a story to tell him and his common yes and response is oh yeah and then what happened? Really? Really? <laughs> yeah. Is that what happened? Is it where it, <laughs> right. it's it, it even when it's a case of uh you know that what they tell you is maybe a misinterpretation of events doesn't matter. That's mm -hmm. their reality that it is. they have created for themselves and you don't you don't negate that. No. You you just go completely additive to it and let them take you down the the memory path to wherever in their imagination it took them. It was that that was why like when our older campers when we started doing our older camper kind of weeks you know maybe four or five years ago. Uh, it's affectionately referred to as Teen Week. Teen Week. <laughs> yep. Um, Things get real crazy in Teen Week. <laughs> but they were like, "Can I take my phone and video the the quest?" And that was a straight up like, no, absolutely not. Because you hit the nail on the head. The magic of that, the true power of that exists in their memory of that particular situation. Yes, I tend to guide it along, you know, lead the witness along by, by inserting things. But really all of the power of that is, is kind of through their experience, their performative interaction with it. Uh, and then talking amongst themselves to sort of kind of build it up. Having a having a camera out there would completely and utterly ruin you know that experience because then they could have something to refer back to, you know. Um, it, it is it is wonderfully magical, wonderfully magical out there. And our greatest tool and asset to play with is their imaginations. Well, we will definitely talk more about camp as the as the show progresses. Uh, but to set people's expectations for for going forward, we're looking at, at tackling a few chapters at a time, mm -hmm. a, a, bulk, a a group of chapters at a time, so that we can go in some depth. Uh, but you know, not not make it uh, to where you're going to be listening to more podcasts than there is audiobook necessarily. <laughs> uh, but we want this to be the book club uh, that maybe you do or don't have access to, uh, and and we encourage people to. Uh, get in touch with us. There's a contact form on the website. Let us know if there's something you think we missed, if there's something you think that we we just absolutely have to make sure that people hear that you didn't hear us talk about, but that if you had been here at the table with us talking about it, uh, that uh, that we include uh, what you've got to say about things. Uh, if there are books that you think that we should cover, we've got a, a laundry list going as it is, uh, but suggestions are always good. You know, the things that uh, that you would like to to hear us talk about uh, we uh, we definitely want to take you into account, uh, and if there are more things that you want to know about Camp Half Blood Austin Branch, uh, if you want if you want to know the secrets behind the scenes, uh, we'll see we'll see just how generous Topher wants to be in 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 telling the tales. Uh, that Not have, very that have gone untold until now. We'll see. Secret, secret, we'll see. Secrets. We'll see. Uh, and you will hear many more voices from the uh, Camp Half Blood Austin Branch community. Uh, join us here on on uh, between the pages. Um, Topher, uh, what what is the best thing that somebody can do to support uh, Between the Pages' mission, uh, Camp Half-Blood Austin Branch, even if they don't live in Austin? Uh, I, I, I feel like 
probably a fair number of people listening are Austin based, but a number of people just love books and love the worlds created by Rick Riordan and other authors. Yeah, just just let let people know that we're out there. Um, you know, we've been running Camp Applet since 2006, so a long time. And we've had a lot of experience uh, in classrooms. We're growing that now, kind of with Between the Pages, focusing on the Rick Riordan Presents books out in our, our, our school system. Um, but yeah, reach out to us. You know, we are getting ready to uh, build a permanent home for Camp Applet on 500 acres of land. And we're going to need to raise funds to do that. We want to grow our in-school programming, you know, with Between the Pages, what we're calling the Narrative Thread Project, where we bring performance readers in to perform the books in Title I schools with kids, um, with performance readers who are representative of the characters in the books and of the students in the audience. It's we should fun. mention that yeah. this, this podcast came into existence. It did. On an off day, uh, Hector and I have been, have been uh, two of, of the three person team uh, with Hector as our, our, uh, our noble leader uh, reading uh, JC Cervantes as the storm runner yeah. uh, to fifth graders, which we're almost through the book. And we've gotten to the climax of the book with a couple of these groups and it's, uh, it's gotten a lot of fun. You know, I, yesterday I played the God of death, a Panther creator, God, and, uh, and an old lady, um, uh, the, uh, the spark striker, the spark striker, yeah. uh, you know, who, uh, just just would 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 love for <laughs> silly demigods to just do what they're told uh and uh it's it's always a different adventure and, <clears throat> and seeing kids like we see out at camp come out of their shells and start out not putting their hands up when we ask who wants to read this character or that character uh transforming into the kid that raises their hand every time yes and the kid that maybe it is they're 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 a boy and the uh, the character that we have left is not a boy character, is a girl character, and they don't care. They, they don't. are just it's they're reading wonderful. and they're getting to play a character and they're getting to perform for the first time. And bravo to both of you yeah. for allowing them to find their voices, you know, in order to do that. It's it's huge. That's that's why we do what we do. We also give scholarships to all uh, of our our Title One school kids in the Narrative Thread Project so that they can continue that immersive engagement in a literary setting. And so it's, it's, it's important work. So you can help by, by donating to the school side. There's a, a membership thing, it's on our website, um, and you can see what those, those membership dollars get you there. Or you could donate to the let's, let's, let's build a permanent home for Camp Half-Blood. Um, and that is gonna be spectacular. So stay tuned for more information on that. Like I said, we will have uh, other members of our local Camp Half Blood community joining us as uh, as as guest panelists here on the show, and, and readers uh, too, and, right? And readers, we're yeah. gonna, we're going to read bits from these books. Uh, one of the one of the exclusive things that until now you had to be a kid in the Austin area to experience for the most part is uh, getting to listen to Topher uh, read the first chapter of this book, and you, <laughs> right, l lovely loyal podcast listener, are going to get to hear that for for free, yeah. for free. Yeah, it doesn't even cost anything. Um, and on top of that, we, we've had some discussions about uh, maybe uh, maybe looking into uh, having some of these uh, these uh, well-known uh, literary friends of yours, Topher, mm -hmm. uh, maybe joining us in the future and maybe even helping us pick books to talk about. Uh, books be that, lovely. That, that mean a lot to them uh, that uh, that they'd like to hear us discuss and like to discuss with us. So look forward to that with no specified promises right. uh, other than a vague, you know, we're going to do our best. Yes. Uh, so 
Uh, I guess uh, without further ado, thanks uh, thanks for joining us for this first episode of the show. Thank you, Topher. Uh, thank you, Hector. Thank you, Michael. Between the Pages is a production of Between the Pages, right here deep in the heart of Austin, Texas. To learn more about Between the Pages and Camp Half-Blood Austin Branch, visit our website, between-the-pages.org. This episode of Between the Pages was produced and edited by me, Moises Chuyan. Our theme music was composed, produced, and recorded by the incomparable Mr. Gray Bradfield. And no, his father, our host and executive producer, Topher Bradfield, did not ask me to add that adjective. I wrote it myself in my own pen and ink. The best way to support Between the Pages, the podcast, whether you're listening to us now or a year from now or a decade from now, is to recommend the show to a friend. Just like with books, a recommendation from someone you trust makes all the difference for podcasts. Now, if you can spare the time, it'd mean the world to us if you'd rate and review Between the Pages and Apple Podcasts. Leaving us a five-star rating takes five seconds. If you want to go the extra mile, leave us a review. Tell people why you like what we're doing in one short sentence. Act like you're telling a friend that reason they must subscribe to us right now because... uh, And that pause represents the blank you get to fill in. You know, while you're there, take a look at some of the reviews and upvote the ones you think are the most helpful. Now, before we go, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask Mr. D... I'm dying to know how you think we did on our first episode. Yeah, it's me, Lord Dionysus, but you can call me Mr. D. I was having a great day until now. Honestly, that's uh, more positive than I was expecting. We will be back next Saturday with two new things for you. A live reading of the first chapter of The Lightning Thief and an all-new episode covering chapters two and three. Until then, whoever you are, wherever you are, try reading something aloud for someone. Even if... No, especially if that someone is you. Thanks for listening.